Hi, welcome to Not All Lawyers Have Law Degrees and lots of other things that we found out about becoming a lawyer and the people that do. Hi, I'm Kush. So far in our podcast, we've looked a lot at the practicalities of becoming a solicitor and a barrister, but we've also touched on whether the legal profession is more accessible now than it might have been in the past, and whether it really is open to everyone, regardless of who you are, your background, or your financial circumstances. In an episode last week, Daisy Mortimer from the Inner Temple really strongly emphasised that there is space at the bar for everyone with capability and determination. I want to talk a bit more about diversity and inclusion in the legal profession, and specifically what makes a law firm truly inclusive so that everyone feels welcome. So first, I spoke to Vaibhav Adlaka, a solicitor in Reed Smith's regulatory and investigations team, and winner of the Future Leader Diversity and Inclusion Award at Chambers Europe 2021. I started off by asking him about the often bruising process of getting a training contract, which, as you'll hear, is something Weber is particularly well-placed to talk about. One of the things I've been reflecting on recently is the process for applying for jobs and, and training contracts and internships or vacation schemes. I remember over the course of my final two years at uni that I had you know, quite a lot of rejections on applications and interview stage for training contracts and things. And it felt like it was a bit of a numbers game to some extent. You were constantly applying for, for so many jobs. And, and I was quite disappointed at times and wondered if it was for me. And it wasn't just a case for me of kind of keeping going. Eventually something will come up. I sort of realised and constantly was learning and tweaking my approach, improving my commercial awareness, trying different things. And and Vaibhav, I know that you were interested in being a lawyer from the age of 18 and you were an advocate at Model UN. Um, you obviously got a first in uni and we went to the same law school. We went to the same university. We studied law at the same time. Um, you got a distinction at the LPC and obviously you're not successful, but it took you 10 years to get a training contract and to get there. And why was that? What what happened? First of all, thank you, Kush, for bringing up <laughs> back all those memories of the good university. I would say the good university time and not so good application times. I think for me, what happened was that I didn't look at a firm from my perspective as to what, um, you know, what kind of firm I wanted to be at. I was just willing any firm to give me an opportunity. So you're willing to kind of change yourself to uh, a lot of extent because we try to change ourselves mm -hmm. in terms of, um, you know, if one answer is not going well, you try to rework it to fit what the firm wants to say rather than be trying to be honest with yourself. And actually, how would I answer this question if I didn't have the pressure of trying to tick all the firm boxes and, you know, using the right words? Or if you're answering, for instance, um, something, commercial awareness, um, it's not about regurgitating the FT, which I realized later in life, because the minute you regurgitate the FT, the only thing you know is the first page of what the FT said and nothing deeper. So every every time you regurgitate that, that doesn't work. So I think what I was trying to do was uh, trying to fit myself within the firm, within the firm ethos, within what the firm was looking for. And um, I was willing to kind of change myself in any sort of way. So if I got a rejection, I always thought it was me. I, I think I was too... Um, engrossed in demonstrating the abilities that the firm wanted to see rather than demonstrating the abilities that I had, if you understand the difference. And so you, you weren't sort of getting where you wanted to with your applications and so on. And then what did you do um, in, that, in that period, in those 10 years? I nearly gave up on the profession. So <laughs> that's not a good place to start when you have the mental uh, aspect of, okay, I don't, I don't think I'm going to succeed in here. 
Um, but I think that was a stepping stone all to success because you kind of realize, okay, this is, this door is not working. Um, what skills do I need to have? Where, where are my weaknesses? Where else can I apply, apply the skills I have developed? Because everybody has skills and everybody has talent and you just have to find the right environment for it. Um, so I worked in different places. I worked for the government in the Netherlands because I grew up there. I worked in the national competition authorities. I worked for uh, Unilever in their uh, legal research and development, uh, R&D side of things. I worked in human rights. Um, I worked, uh, I basically so even sold clothes for a year. Um, I think those rejections gave me, uh, which I feared, which all of us fear, actually was a stepping stone to my success. If I can say that way, like failure is always a stepping stone to succeed in something. So I guess uh, that's what I would say that um, I failed. And that was the reason I succeed as well at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like you had several careers in the, before you came back and did your training contract. Um, I mean, you've done, done more in those 10 years than most people do in their lifetime, it seems, in terms of variety. But what did you, what did you learn and what, did you change, what changed about you from the person that you were when you first started applying for the person that, that eventually got a yes and, and got your training contract? I started thinking more about me, more about what I wanted, what my ambitions are and it's not about the number of firms you apply for. It's it's about finding a firm that fits you. I know that's cliche, but it's about knowing what your ambitions are and finding a firm that can fulfill those ambitions for you. Um, and I found that firm in Reed Smith because they matched the mindset that I was looking for um, as opposed to the other, other way around. So I think with Reed Smith, what happened was I couldn't care less whether I got the training contract or not. It was my last shot. What did you mean it was your last shot? I decided to officially stop applying after Reachment. And that that was a realization that I had at the end of it saying that actually it's not the be all, be all or end all if you don't get training contracts. Even if you've got the biggest grades and things, it's not the be all or end all if you don't succeed. Because the thing we have with, with um, our students, and you know this well, Kush, I think law firms brainwash us as to as students when they present this cool environment that you want to be part of and, and there's a competition going on as to oh you you got the top five or you got this and you got that. And I remember going to visit a friend once who was disappointed that he got a training contract in not in the city and he would have rather been in my position of not having a training contract than having to do a training contract somewhere somewhere where he wasn't happy. So I was, um, so that kind of brainwashed uh, element that we have in high school or college, uh, I think that changes perspective a lot. And I think if I was 18, uh, again, I would, I would more think about me as a person and where I would want to fit in and whether that firm is willing to change um, their thought process to make sure someone who is differently talented can fit in is what I want to do. And I want to be in a place where they might not succeed every time, but they're willing to try. And I'd rather be in that place than, than the top law firm that, uh, thinks they're best in everything. And you, you have to fit them as rather than they have to fit you. 
And what do you mean by sort of being differently talented and firms that can that can be adjusted to you? What are you what are you sort of looking for? What do they need to show you? We're talking about diversity and inclusion here, aren't we? So for me, diversity and inclusion is not a characteristic. It's not a category that you um, just fit into. It's a way of thinking. So for me, if you think differently, if you think outside the box, if you think um, that certain ways are not working, but we're willing to adapt for the right talent uh, rather than the right client, which is a different way of saying things. It's the right talent versus the right client because firms will adapt uh, for the right client, but they they will not adapt to change for the right talent. So I guess um, for me, I want a firm that looks at the ability of people rather than what they can't do. If you want to reject them, reject them for the right reasons so that they can dev- develop, they can see where they need to develop, then they can have concrete steps to which they want to work at. But um, so I want a firm that's willing to invest in the future. Di- diversity is, as I said, a way of thinking that fosters uh, diversity of thought and culture of growth. So if you want to do a culture of inclusiveness, um, which which is needed, be willing to embrace the change, be willing to understand that things that used to work about 20, 20 years ago or even 10 years ago or five years ago may not work in the way that it, it is now. Diversity re- represents a different way of thinking. So it's time firms embrace that way of thinking and rather than running away from it, help nurture that talent, nurture that way of thinking, I would say, and be able to understand how th- they may need to adapt. I love the idea that diversity is a state of mind and that it's not just characteristic about being Asian or being female or, or being disabled. It's none of those things. It's about how you think as well. And it's just as important to kind of that anyone can, can be diverse because they can think in a certain way. Uh, I think it's mental adjustment. A lot of firms are uh, willing to do physical adjustments and have policies that make you think, OK, they have they have all the physical adjustments and needs. That's all I need. But I'm also working with people. It's a people business. It's a, it's a service business. It's a client business. It's a colleague business. That's the mindset that you need to change. And uh, someone someone who understands that is where you want to be because they will then understand your ambition as well. Getting a training contract is kind of the first step. To, to qualification and to building a career but then I mean I remember for me for example working out which area is right for you um you know and for me I, I kind of competition law made a lot of sense for me because I, I studied law and French law I like the fact that you could do transactions and litigation and advisory work all in one discipline which isn't always the case everywhere else and they obviously you share that because you're a fellow competition lawyer as well among other things um but how did you get there how did you realize that that was what you wanted to do I had considerations about what I like and what I don't like that was one and uh, the second and what kind of what kind of skills work for me like i like analyzing things and um you know working on things from start to finish but at the same time i also what people don't know on your podcast is i have a disability so you have to think about what works within that environment um what works with your limitations what works um in in what your needs are and how how the profession can work around that. 
Um, so if first of all, you have to understand that it's not all the law firm that, who makes, you know, a lot of, a lot of, um, people criticize law firms for, oh, you're not changing fast enough or you're not changing. Um, you know, you need to embrace the change. And yes, they do. They, they definitely do need to embrace the change. They need to, um, as one of my partners put it, we are kicking in, we are dragging law firms, kicking and screaming, um, into the 21st century, whether they like it or not. Uh, and yes, they do need to change, but at the same time, you are the one that's going to help, help them make that change. Uh, you have to work from, with them on the inside to kind of help make that change that you want to see. So it's more of a collaboration regarding my career. So I, I did my four seats and I had, I had an idea that I want to be a transactional lawyer. So I thought I'd be a transactional lawyer. But what happened was that transactional law didn't work out the way I thought it would for me. It didn't showcase my skills. It showcased what I was not so good at and it didn't work out. So then having to then rethink your career in the sense in the middle of your training contract, having to reevaluate your options and rethink um, you know, transaction law is what you wanted, but it's not working out the way it was supposed to. Then with the help of Reed Smith, who then sat down with me and, uh, had a, a conversation as to what are your skills and where do you want to go? Um, I entered into the regulatory domain. So, um, and I found out that re- in regulatory, you actually get paid for taking longer because you need to get it right. And it's perfect. Um, so you're able to convert your weakness, what perceived weakness into a strength because you're able to understand that you taking longer, which is your perceived weakness in one side is a strength on the other. So I guess that's how I got into uh, the regulatory field. And I thank Reed Smith for being able to, um, Again, think out of the box, think differently as to the kind of train, a kind of job I can do because I did a bit of business development and knowledge management. So I work across financial regulation. I work across, uh, competition. I, uh, do business development, some of some knowledge management. So for someone who has a disability, who you and you think is slow and should not be in the legal profession, I, I end up doing three departments. So that's ironic. Just um, very quickly for people that don't know, what is knowledge management and what does that involve? Knowledge management is, is the, I would say the brainchild of the, of the law firm. I don't think it gets. In, <laughs> it's where the brains are. It, it's where the brains are. I don't think it gets enough credit. It's where they can do projects like incorporate. We have, um, they, they do, um, you know, the, the precedents. Now, if you have a precedence bank, you already have it right. You don't need to draft it from scratch. And they they have so much source of knowledge. I was in knowledge management for two years before I converted as an associate. Uh, and that experience really helped me understand the firm as a whole. Because when you're an associate, you only look at your practice area. But as a knowledge management person, you have to look at the firm as a whole, how knowledge management can fit in. To that practice, what are the goals? How how can it be create more efficiency? Uh, so they are the ones who 
maintain your database. They're the one who, who have information about all the bespoke questions that you don't need to research. They, they are the ones who give you, um, a source of knowledge bank that uh, if used properly can lead to great efficiency and, um, get a lot of client, uh, work into the firm. Yeah. It's something that I think people think about in the certain stage of their career, maybe that, you know, what would I like to do? And would I like to go on to be a partner? Would I like to work in house? But there are alternatives, aren't there? Things like working in knowledge management or working in business development that you don't necessarily know as a student that even exist these jobs. I didn't certainly didn't know that these jobs existed when I was applying. For no, it definitely. Uh, the point is that the way the profession is marketed, these jobs are one, not, not considered Two, you may think it's not valued, but I, th- from experience and from what, uh, we have seen in terms of facilitating collaboration, in terms of f- um, creating client efficiency, creating um, creating clients, client work, knowledge management and professional support lawyers can easily uh, help you do that and uh, generate revenue for a firm. And yeah, and, and for you, you're sort of, uh, you're doing a, across three departments, I understand, and you're kind of doing competition work, regulatory work, knowledge management, business development. It sounds like you're in every department, basically. Yes, uh, that is true. At the moment, I'm transitioning to try to become a m- more of an associate role. Having had the knowledge management background to carry with me, I think I've understood how a firm works because I not, I didn't only work with lawyers in my practice, but I collaborated across jurisdictions, but I also um, collaborated with business development, with marketing, with all the other aspects that you don't seem to realize because us, us lawyers just think of our advice and it goes to the client and then we're done. And that's not the case when you're pre- trying to present something or trying to uh, present a big wide project, which might lead to client work. Um, those innovation teams, those marketing teams, those business development, knowledge management teams um, really can play a role. Um, but I think it's having the flexibility of your, in your own mind that, that you have to think about your career, not only from your perspective, but also what the firm business needs. And that's where collaboration becomes important because although the firm sees value in you, they may, they might not be able to fulfill the business need for what you want. So if you work with them and you show as if you're willing to collaborate with them and understand their ambitions plus yours and kind of marriage the two together, if that makes sense. Um, I think that's the perfect career choice. Okay. And on a practical level, what sort of support do you get? What sort of support is available? Uh, physical support. I have my own assistant who's dedicated to like me and to make sure that I can produce the same work as other associates. Um, and obviously the automatic doors and everything that you would expect. Um, also technology. And I'd like to bring up that actually it's not the firm that needs to pick up the cost. You have things like organizations like access to work and other governmental organizations that can assist your firm to actually pick up the cost. So one of the things with hiring people with diversity, whether it's women, whether it's disabled people, whether it's BAME, uh, it's how much is it going to cost me? Are they efficient enough? 
especially because the value system is all about time recording. And until that changes, these are questions that we're going to have. But more important than that is the mental support of your colleagues who are willing to change their way of thinking, change the work that they normally give to a trainee or an associate where, where they understand that that might be more difficult. I find the easier stuff more difficult. So um, whereas the difficult stuff more easy, which is, a, which is a bit of a difference. And I would say that that's, I think lo, um, my colleagues understand that and are willing to make that mental adjustment. Rather than someone ticking a box, they see me as someone who can make a valuable contribution. Um, I think that's the difference. And that's the support that you actually do need. So that's something that everyone with a characteristic, you know, even me as an Asian person might question myself, you know, if you get promoted, you sort of wonder, you know, to what extent there is an element of, of self-doubt there, but knowing that, that, that people are, are doing it because of, because of what you do rather than who you are is really important. And um, I'm sure a lot of people can, can relate to that. One thing I would add to that, because you've, you've brought up the point that people wonder um, whether you promoted or whether you got a job because you tick a box. Um, I, I have been asked that question before and is it because of your disability and, and my answer to that was, I don't, so what, it doesn't matter whether, for me, it doesn't matter whether it's because, because of my disability or, um, I don't know what they call it. The, the right term is the intersectionality is what they say nowadays. It's not because even if it is because of that, it's, it's given me the opportunity to have the platform to make the change I want to see in the profession. What I want firms to do is to collaborate with their individuals, uh, collaborate with their people, because your business will be nothing nothing without people. So y- you have to be able to collaborate with the people to understand where your ambitions kind of match. And I think that's that's key. It's, col- it's a collaborative journey. I'm not saying law firms are going to get it right all the time. No organization ever does. Uh, and people like me are willing to willing to stick it out and work with whatever we've got in in our, whatever cards we've been dealt with, but kind of make make it the future that that we want it to be. And I hope the law firm and all professions understand that. And I can make the profession what I want it want it to be as open, um, more open than what it was bef- when I found it. Um, I hope it's a better place by the time I leave it, whenever I do. So that was Weber Vedlaka, associate of Reedsmith. And before we get into anything else, I'd just like to clear up a bit of legal jargon. At the top of the interview, I introduced Weber as a solicitor, but his proper title is actually associate. It's different at different law firms, but basically an associate is a rung on the ladder between newly qualified solicitors and partners. So you can get junior associates, senior associates and plenty of things in between. If you're confused about any other legal jargon, do look on the website of the Solicitors Regulation Authority. It's got a page called Legal Jargon Explained, which is really useful. We'll also post a link on our show notes. So I've got Georgie Yates, BBC Legal Apprentice, here with me now to hear her thoughts on the chat I had with Babav. What did you think, Georgie? Hey, Akush. Um... I loved it. I thought it was like wall-to-wall wisdom. I thought that so much of what he said was so interesting and helpful. And I I particularly liked when he was talking about like the importance of not just like 
finding a training contract it's also so important that like the place you work is a good fit for you like you give so much of your time to it that it should be a kind of a, a reciprocal relationship yeah exactly that but it's also it's a two-way street and you have to find somewhere that suits you and that fits fits your personality and your needs as well is really important regardless of, of, of who you are and for me the, the thing that I loved that he said was about how diversity is a state of mind I just never thought of it like that that it's not about being black or Asian or gay or, or anything it's just about how you think about things and how you can include people um, is a fantastic way and like thinking about how you can be uh, like a good person good colleague yeah and I guess law firms looking for reasons to say yes to people thinking about how the people can fit into the organization totally. how they can adjust mentally adjust to make sure that, that someone can do a great job because I mean it's crazy that someone like Weber who's obviously you know really impressive and, and spoke so compellingly for 10 years didn't get a training contract and now he seems to be changing the profession from within but he has to get someone has to give someone like him that opportunity to to do that yeah absolutely I thought what he said about kind of changing organizations from within was really powerful and I I love the ballsiness of him being like we are dragging law firms kicking and screaming into the 21st century whether they like it or not like it, but also kind of he's talking about taking like such a pragmatic approach and recognizing that like sometimes you have to hold people's hands through that process um and I just thought he was such a brilliant mix of like absolutely crystal clear that this is what is what should and what will be happening but also kind of uh, wanting to be collaborative and supportive um, with that process and wanting to make that change I just thought it was really compelling isn't it sitting very quietly while I chatted to Weber was another guest Demi Rickson the acting vice chair of the Law Society's Lawyers with Disabilities Division and herself an aspiring solicitor Demi has an invisible disability, and after I spoke to Vebab, she shared some of the really difficult experiences she has had trying to get into the legal profession, experiences which show that some law firms have a very long way to go before they get to that diverse mindset Vebab talked about. Demi has some incredibly useful advice about disclosing disabilities to your employer, getting the right support, and about her strategy for finding a law firm with the right culture and fit for her. You can hear all that and some more chat with Vebab in the next episode. In the meantime, don't miss out on any of our episodes, which are on Apple, Spotify and Acast. Make sure you like, leave a review and definitely subscribe. And you can find us on Instagram. Just search NotAllLawyersPod and use the hashtag NotAllLawyers. This has been Not All Lawyers Have Law Degrees from the BBC Legal Team.